0: one, basic hip.
1: Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes or at theJazzSession.com. At theJazzSession.com, you'll also find the mailing list, the Facebook group, and the Twitter feed. For the show, you'll also find uh, Amazon.com links in the notes to each show that will help you help me. <laughs> I think that's the easiest way to say it. And uh, you'll find a donate button, too, if you'd like to give a little back to the show. The show is free, and it always will be. But uh, if you'd like to contribute, I could certainly use it. And my guest today is Roger Kellaway. Uh, his career is, is so expansive that it's very difficult to summarize, and so perhaps we'll just let him speak for himself. Here he is at the piano recorded live at the Jazz Standard with Duke Ellington's Cottontail. (laughs) ¶¶ My guest is pianist, composer Roger Kellaway. He, uh, he's recorded too many albums to, to list or even to comprehend, but uh, wh- one among them that came out recently that I uh, particularly loved is a two-CD set called Live at the Jazz Standard, and we'll talk about that and more. Roger, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Uh, it's my pleasure,
1: So I want to uh, dig right in at the start here with the uh, the jazz standard record, and just right. ask you about um, the concept of the piano trio without drums, and what is particularly appealing to you about it
0: it's It's the same thing that's appealed to me ever since I was a teenager because my well my first encounter with it was when Oscar Peterson had Barney Kessel. And Ray Brown and then of course uh, Barney was only with the trio for a year and then Herb Ellis came on so my favorite trio through those years uh, was the Oscar Peterson trio with Herb Ellis and I didn't realize really what that was all about until oh many many years later you don't realize uh, the the chamber music aspect of playing in that kind of a group. Because you don't have drums, there's a lot more responsibility on all three instruments. So it's more like chamber music.
1: And you've also said that the the sonic properties of not having the drums, and maybe particularly the cymbals, Kind of interwoven among the other instruments makes the sound very different too. Is that also does that also either free you up or maybe add more weight to what you have to do in those situations?
0: It doesn't change the it doesn't change the responsibility, but uh, it ju- it does change how you how you hear things and uh, and what you can do dynamically because uh, the drums for the most part uh, take up the mid to low range in the sound. So there's a lot of subtle things that you can do with this combination that are harder to do with, uh, with drums, although there are drummers you could play with that, uh, that actually could play in this situation. Mel Lewis and Shelley Mann uh, come to mind, but they're no longer available. Uh, Terry Clark. There are a few. Louis Nash.
1: And what does it require of a drummer to to play well in this? It,
0: plays, it requires real subtlety, <laughs> and and uh, and being able to play with brushes. You know, being able to play soft. It's a it's a real uh, it's a gift. Last time I, I, I when I was doing uh, Carnegie Hall, I was the musical director for uh, Pat Phillips and Atre Strata, who produced the show dedicated to Oscar Peterson. And the quartet was—I uh, had Russell Malone, Christian McBride, and Lewis Nash in in my quartet. But of course, I decided to open the show with just the trio. But uh, Lewis is wonderful. He's—he's he's really. Uh, we did some stuff with Paquito that was fun.
1: Can you talk a little bit about, uh, the? You, I know you have both an East Coast and a West Coast band. Uh, can you talk a little bit about about those groups and who's in them?
0: Well, the West Coast band is uh, Bruce Foreman on guitar and Dan Lutz on bass, and uh, Russell Malone on guitar and Jay Lenhart on bass in, in the East. In fact, we're about to do something at uh, in March, March 26th at Sanibel island off fort myers in florida we're going to play together and we haven't played together since the jazz standard so that'll be fun it's a different intensity that's all you know both groups make tremendous music um all the players are very versatile and very imaginative Uh, it's a lot of fun and you've got in those situations you've got two guitarists that are completely dedicated to playing rhythm and and that is not something that automatically comes with guitar you might think it would but i'm talking about playing rhythm guitar not just strumming a bunch of chords it's really an art
1: is it a, a lost art or a, a waning art there are, I, I haven't
0: uh, well I know a couple of guitar players that can't do it it, it, it I think it's the way you're the way you brought up the responsibility for playing rhythm on guitar when you're in a in an intimate situation with just piano and bass and guitar it is is it, just different you know i remember years ago i was at uh, i was doing a concert at ucla and on the bill was uh diana Krall. and uh during intermission uh, i walked up to her and we we chatted for a while and i said you know i'm thinking about forming a an oscar peterson type trio with just guitar and bass and uh he said, okay, you need Russell Malone. And, and she said that, you know, without a, a blink of an eyelash. It just, because, and when I finally got to play with him, I really knew why. I mean, certainly I'd listened to some of her records, but he plays wonderful rhythm guitar. Swings like crazy. And so does Bruce Foreman. There, there are other people you know, I'm thinking now of, of uh, Bucky Pizzarelli and, and his son John and uh, Howard Alden. There are players that I've, that I've played with that have uh, grown up through Dixieland and, and some of the older aspects of, uh, of music, which would mean that uh, playing rhythm guitar would be more part of what you would do in your life, period.
1: Yeah, to me the uh, the and this is just a matter of personal preference, but the the quintessential example of that for me is the King Cole trio. Uh, sure. From before, well, during some of the time when Nat was singing, but particularly before he was, uh, you know, no, well known as a singer, where they were just yeah like one one human being playing three instruments at once, just amazing. Yeah,
0: now at Nat, I, I listen to a lot of Nat Cole. Uh, during the time that I was making the Heroes. CD, and one of the things that impressed me was um, the ease that he plays with. And it's really interesting, Uh, last night I was just playing a a CD that I got from England, which is all transcripts uh, of a bunch of tunes that the Oscar Peterson trio with Barney Kessel recorded. 1952, and when you listen to that, even the up tempos that Oscar plays, this is a time, 1952, where it's very close to when he was influenced by Nat, and you never hear Oscar uh, just really jump on 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 playing. It's it's much more subtle. And that may have something to do with Barney, because Barney was a much more subtle player than Herb Ellis. But it's a delight to hear Oscar really swing with uh, just playing lightly. It's beautiful.
1: Do you know, Roger, whether uh, whether when Oscar formed that band, he intentionally did it without drums, or whether that was a just a happenstance?
0: I don't know the whole history of that. I do know that... that uh, Oscar's first trio did have drums, and I, I don't know what led to um, to the trios that he had with with guitar, because you know he had Irving Ashby also, and I think there's another guitarist that that he had before Irving, and Irving, of course, played with uh, Nat Cole. After Herbie left in 1959. Um, yeah, Herbie he told me that Oscar said that he just he just simply didn't want to deal with you know 300 arrangements for guitar, bass, and and piano. He just wanted to have it be easier. So that's when he went to drums.
1: Coming back uh, to your own career, you mentioned uh, the album Heroes just a moment ago. Will you will you tell people about that record? The some of the inspiration behind it.
0: Well, the inspiration behind it was to dedicate it to Oscar Peterson. And I, prior to that point, uh, the only guitar-based situation that I was in was with uh, Gene Bertoncini and Michael Moore. We did an album together years ago. And I just wanted to do that again. One of the things uh, about that kind of group is Uh, the idea of of swinging with that kind of a group really takes uh, it takes it's a lot more responsibility to to get to that swing gear when you don't have drums a lot of fun (laughs) (laughs) so we we did heroes and and I was really uh, I was quite taken by the uh, Uh, The French Jazz Academy, who gave me the Prix du Jazz Classique in 2007 for for that album. I flew to Paris to get that award. So I, and thinking about it, you know, with Django Reinhardt and all the the hot club of France and all the things that have been swing-oriented that have come out of France, it made sense to me that uh, they were the ones that gave Heroes the award.
1: Involved in just about every aspect of the the music business that that one can be involved in, from uh, film scoring and and television composition, and uh, kind of the more chamber music side of jazz, and what people would consider, I guess, the more mainstream aspects of it too. And I wonder, in all of those various facets, is there a uh, do you try to bring some identifiable Roger Kellaway sound to the proceedings, or in the case, for example, of film scoring, are you are you more there to kind of interpret the vision of the person making the film?
0: I'm yeah. When I'm creating, in any situation, I, I'm not conscious of looking for a sound that I think is mine. There are just certain aspects of composition and, and melody and harmony that I automatically gravitate towards. Of course, when you're doing a film, one of the things that you're attempting to portray is is emotionally what uh, what can the music uh, bring to that what, whatever the subject matter is. That's what I'm doing with this huge uh, Visions of America show with uh, Joe Soames, my partner, and he's the photographer, and. Uh, at this point, we have an hour and seven minute show for a 65-piece orchestra, and we have narrations by Clint Eastwood and vocals by Patty Austin. I've written now four songs with Ellen and Marilyn Bergman, and that's our, that's our huge, that's the huge project that I've actually been working on now for more than two years.
1: You don't mess around, do you, with the uh, when you assemble a cast to do something. That's pretty incredible. T- talk more about this project, what its well, we, uh, genesis is.
0: Joe and I have been working on it since 2000. We've, we did a, a short demo um, at that time that we presented, and it wasn't until well, oh, about a year and a half ago that it actually grounded. And we had Peter Nero and the Philly Pops, became interested in doing the show. Now, Peter and I hadn't seen each other. He thought it was 50 years, but it was somewhere in the early 60s that we we worked opposite each other at the Jilly's in New York. And uh, I was not playing piano. I was playing bass with the other group, uh, which is my second instrument. And then when he left Jilly's to become... Peter Nero, because he's Bernie Nero, Um, he recommended to Jilly that I take his place. So anyway, we ran all this, what we still call the first draft of Visions of America uh, through Peter Nero. And then as of last January 25th, we actually had a world premiere with the orchestra. We did five performances. So we're ongoing now. I'm working on finishing a uh, solo CD that's sort of uh, variations on, uh, uh, on some of the parts of Visions of America, and then I will move on to making a smaller version of it, so that Joe and I can go on the road with it.
1: Roger, can you give us some idea about the narrative content of Visions of America?
0: It has to do with the history of democracy and uh, at, at this point it, it starts with uh, the rising sun which was the, the carving of the back of uh, George Washington's chair and the uh, first movement goes through uh, World War II. You know, we're, I mean, we're moving pretty quickly, but we're, uh, Joe, it, it, the, the story behind Visions of America is the, uh, is the, the journey of the photographer. So Clint is, is doing dialogue that's really Joe Soam telling us about his life. And Joe used to be an American history teacher. So it's really an interesting project, and it ends with a song that uh, the Bergmans and I wrote called "We the People."
1: It seems to me like from from earliest days you decided that rather than than boxing yourself into any particular category, you were going to explore whatever appealed to you. How how did you have the I don't maybe I don't know if courage is the right word, but whatever the word should be to just to make that decision, to strike out well, in so many paths?
0: I don't know that I made that decision, but it, it's just something that happened to me. I, I just have a, uh, a five-year-old inside that's uh, just curious about all kinds of things and how they work. You know, how does an orchestra work? Or how does a jazz band work? How does a big band work? How does a film work? And I've just been curious about... All kinds of things, you know. What what's a what's an avant-garde piece like? What's a Mozart piece like? It's uh, you know all different genres are are interesting to write in. Uh,
1: speaking of uh, Clint Eastwood, who you just mentioned, I know that you conducted the music for his film Invictus, and that you've you've conducted scores before for film. And uh, what are the particular responsibilities of that? It seems like it must be a very precise. Task to conduct music that has to be synced up with a with well, a motion picture.
0: Yeah, well, it is. It has to fit. <laughs> that's that's one of the criteria of, of of doing film music, and unlike a lot of the old films, which were literally conducted to uh, to film, we have used different degrees of, of synchronization uh, in terms of a click track for, I don't know, more than maybe 30 years now. Uh, Clint's not really a fan of that. He likes it to go on the fly. And when you do that, then you're, you're conducting, you know what your tempo is going to be, and you use what are called streamers that as you're looking at the film, they go by and and a flash of light happens, which is a punch at the end of the streamer. And you can put those in, in any place you want so that you can keep your tempo up to what it should be for, for the scene. Those things used to be hand-drawn on film. Now with digital, it's just, uh, you know, you just make a punch and there it is.
1: And is the, uh, the ensemble generally performing very short segments at one time, or can it be a quite extended piece of music?
0: In, in general, in, in my experience, the, uh, a, seven, a six- or seven-minute piece is very rare. It's much more, and even a two- and three-minute piece can be rare in some films. And it's not uncommon for well, if when you're doing television, there's uh, there's all kinds of uh, going to commercial and coming out of commercial, and those things are are just seconds long. You know, they might be eight seconds to play off or or to play on. Of course, you know that isn't really it isn't really relevant to even talk about that anymore because the. Uh, but Nothing. TV really isn't scored. I mean, they they may have a couple of shows that, that use real orchestra, and I, I think The Simpsons does, and I certainly <laughs> applaud that. And and maybe Family Guy does too. I don't. But there are only a like two or three.
1: And and, and two of the three are The Simpsons and Family Guy. I they, maybe
0: <laughs> Family Guy. I'm not sure. That, I Seth,
1: think that says it all.
0: The guy that that does, Seth, that does Family Guy, did call me uh, because he wanted to do a segment dedicated to uh, Archie Bunker of uh, All in the Family, and he wanted to know if I had a a clean version of my uh, closing theme, which I didn't really. He had to take uh, whatever he got, but anyway, that's a conversation that we had he certainly didn't do that live, So, I, I'm, I'm not really sure whether he, uh, whether he uses scoring or not. I guess I'm telling you my, uh, my television habits. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Roger, what is the, uh, what is the attraction to you of working uh, in film or in television? where you are so much more behind the scenes than when you're seated at the piano, you know, on stage in front of the audience. Uh, what, what's the attraction of uh, uh, doing film or television scores for you, besides, well, of course, the, making a living?
0: The, the attraction is still, with each situation, uh, how to solve it and, and how to make the most music in that situation. Now, uh, I've, I've done, uh, I think Clint's film was my 27th film, so I have a lot of experience since uh 1970 that that has to do with how music goes with film so i know that and all you need is a great music editor to work with in in order to have that work out so knowing the mechanics is is fun and once the mechanics are solved in a particular piece of music then you're free to Write however you want. That's usually what I do. I don't exactly write first and and then figure out the how the uh, how the how it works, how it fits with the film. But it, again, it's how do you solve each situation? How do you uh, how do you make the most music out of a situation? And and I of course I'm curious about many different situations.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask if there's an analogy to be made there with uh, performance in a trio setting or a quartet. Or as
0: far as my life is concerned, if we, if you wanted to use the a metaphor of uh, of the wheel, there's a lot of people that uh, that sort of have a few spokes to the wheel, and once they become very successful at one thing, they don't ever do anything else. That's not exactly the way it is for me. I just have a lot of spokes to the wheel. There's a lot of things that I'm curious about.
1: Roger, you mentioned in March uh, the trio performances uh, down in Florida. What else is uh, on your plate that you can tell us about?
0: We're trying to figure out, that is, visions of America people. We're trying to figure out if we're going to Shanghai or not. In May, with the Philadelphia Orchestra and Charles Dutroit, who would like to close a show at the American Pavilion with our song We the People with Patty Austin and I. So we're, we're working on that one. And uh, hopefully that'll get solved. After that, I am going to Boston to receive. An honorary doctoral degree from the New England Conservatory, which is my alma mater.
1: Congratulations.
0: Yeah, thank you. I was only there in like '58 uh, and '59, so I've been going back there a little bit. Uh, last November was their 40th jazz festival, and I played a a duo with Bob, Bob Brookmeyer, which was fun.
1: Well, it it amazes me. We could do a a seven hour show as opposed to a thirty minute show on everything that you've uh, that you've been involved with. It's a really inspiring story, um, at least from from where I sit. And uh, I'm I'm really glad you came on to to share some of it with us. And I thank you very much for your time.
0: Oh, my pleasure.
1: Music from Roger Kellaway's two CD set live at the Jazz Standard. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllaboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free anytime you want it in iTunes or at the TheJazzSession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to uh, purchase the albums heard on the show and help support the show at the same time. And you'll find a donate button if you'd like to give a little back. My thanks to the members of the Respect Sextet for the opening and closing themes of this program. You'll find them online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session.
2: For listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.